these are extraordinary times, but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, on taking care of your gut and, of course, your brain, but most of all, on clarifying the right steps to be happier, healthier, and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. Welcome, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us once again for Body Ecology Live. And we're going to be talking today with Susan Levin, who I've known for years. It seems like decades, actually. But she has had a really interesting life. I would say her life, her path in life has been directed you know, has caused her to be directed in different directions. She's actually been an attorney, an artist, an actor, and an author, but she has a son with autism, and she became a very interested in diet, of course, and so she's also a certified nutrition consultant, and she works with families who are affected by autism and ADHD. So she began a writing career as a Harvard student when she famously earned an A- on an essay comparing ACDC to Macbeth. Interesting comparison. She's passionate about most things in life, but especially her family. And she's been a native of New Yorker all this. She is a native of New Yorker right now. So Susan, thank you for joining us. This is, I think, going to be a fun, interesting topic, controversial. So... I just want to tell people that about two weeks ago, Ben, Susan's son, and I talked also in an interview, and it's really quite, I mean, I think you should go back and listen to that either before listening to this one or probably before if you can, ideally, but certainly afterwards, because that's what, you know, what some of the things that Ben said are really important. You know, I don't think people... I mean, everybody today knows about autism, but they don't know really that much about it. And what they know is very inaccurate. It's a big topic. And I would like today for you all listening to get, uh, have an opportunity to actually get into the mind and experience of a mom who's gone through this whole scenario with her son. And, but also the interview with Ben is very interesting because there are not many children with autism that have been interviewed. So you understand what's going, going on in the mind of a child with autism. So, Susan, thank you very much. I thought after I talked to Ben, you said, Oh, can we do an interview together? And I said, Perfect. That's really good because it's a part two of the interview I did with with Ben. Oh, I'm so happy to be here today because this is really where I feel like the focus of my life is turning now in a very interesting way. To give a little background with Ben, so Ben is 19. He was born. I really believe right from the start, Ben showed signs of autism. Of course, this was many years ago. He's So the world of autism was not in the world's stage the way it's now. You know, everybody knows somebody with autism and uh, or who knows somebody who's connected with somebody on the spectrum. And there's a lot more understanding now and there's a lot more available resources than when I was, you know, I'll say a younger mother who was facing something that was truly terrifying. Because in my mind, when Ben was diagnosed at age five, I thought that represented kind of a game over for his life. 
And I just didn't know anything about autism. And what I knew seemed very, very bad. What do you mean by game over? Like, I thought he would have no options in life. I thought he wouldn't be able to go to college. I thought he wouldn't be able to make friends. I had visions of group home living for the rest of his life after a certain, you know, after. And a big fear a lot of parents have is that they're not going to live forever. Who's going to take care of their child and support them after they've gone? And I was very worried about the burden that would come on to him. And so I spent, after the diagnosis, I would say, well, the first year was all about biomedical interventions and particularly diet. And that did move the needle to a certain degree and cleared away some of the fog. Then, but biomedical, most people don't really understand what that means. Biomedical sounds like you're going to go to a doctor and maybe do drugs. Right, right. Thank you. So biomedical interventions, as I understand them for autism, have to do with looking at lifestyle factors, um, things that are going to affect the different brains in the body. You know, there's one in the head and there's one in the belly, and which is inside, and that things like diet and environmental toxicity. And I learned from Donna, actually, way back in the day, epigenetics, you know, things that are genes that make you predisposed to certain problems and that you can actually turn off genes that hurt you. You can turn on genes that will support the body. And so biomedical interventions just mean using lifestyle factors to alter the way that your body responds to the environment and help. So things like diet, um, things like air filters in the home, things like we don't have Wi-Fi to this day. We don't have Wi-Fi in our home. Huh. And a lot of this sounds very woo-woo. And, you know, I, I'm a lawyer. My husband's a lawyer. We thought a lot of this sounded really crazy. But honestly, with that diagnosis, we were just very open-minded to anything. And the one thing I knew for me was that I didn't want to put my child on brain-altering medications, synthetic medications. I didn't trust that. I, he was a little child, and that felt very an area I didn't want to go into. So what was left to me were, like I said, the biomedical interventions, which is what we really focused on in, during we started in the first year, and then also therapies. And we, we found a therapy called the Sunrise Program, which we did for about four and a half years, which worked with Ben to inspire him to want to connect with us. Because I do, I'd like to just take a minute to paint a picture of what Ben was like when he was much more disabled with the autism, which was he had no eye contact with us. He didn't call me mommy. He didn't look at me. If I hugged him, he went limp in my arms. He ran away a lot. He was, he was like the wind. He so fast starting when he was like four or five years old. So I had to keep a constant eye out for where was Ben. And he screamed a lot. I still don't know what that was about, but he would scream. He had daily tantrums and all of this stuff just kind of wore me down to the nub. But, um, and then I had my other child to look after, you know, so it was, it was really a lot. So at that time, I was a graphic designer. I let go of that and just started working full time on this Sunrise program, um, and the biomed and the and the biomedical 
interventions for me were like, without that foundation, I don't think Ben would have been available to do the therapeutic work we were doing with the Sunrise program. And honestly, I mean, I... I found that too, you know, consistently, let's say, you know, parents had their child in a, say, speech program. And they made no progress at all until they started making changes in the diet. And then, you know, some kids very quickly recovered and others were always along the way. And so that's one of the things we're going to go into is that not all children recover, but it is a spectrum. And they can recover 100% and then they never even remember that they had autism and their parents go on and it's like a bad memory. Uh, they want to get over. And some uh, recover largely, significantly, to really live very productive, happy lives. And, and that's uh, really where Ben is. So I, I want people to kind of have a sense. I'm glad you're explaining where you were when you started. And you. I think a lot of people get that diagnosis and they immediately jump to, oh my gosh, hopeless, where it's far from that. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, the language that you're using around recover is mainly where I feel I have shifted, but I'll I'll kind of finish up the Ben story. So we worked with Ben for four and a half years and then, and that was all at home. And that was a wonderful program that, as I said, really Ben suddenly connected with us. And I, I wrote a book about that journey or sunrise journey with Ben called Unlocked. And in that book, I talked about how there was this one moment one day when we were doing this methodology program with Ben. And for the first time, he was six years old. And for the first time, he walked over to me and put his arms around me and said something to me. And that was the first time in his whole life. And that's a very emotional memory yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. You know? But that was really the beginning. And that chapter in the book is called Emergence, you know, because at that point he did start to emerge into a world of communication, self-exploration. I mean, he was six then. Now he's, you know, the years of self-exploration came later, but that was the beginning. And we have consistently continued with the biomedical interventions. As I said, we still don't have Wi-Fi in the house. We're very careful around screens, although Ben is on screens a lot being a teenager and that's been okay. We have an infrared sauna in the house that Ben loves, um, which is very grounding for him, very helpful. We have a rebounder that Ben does. Music is a big part of our life. There's just a lot of holistic stuff in the house. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference with his moods and with his capacities and everything. And I do want to say the body ecology diet has been like revolutionary for us because I was doing a lot of different diets. Probably a lot of people are trying them. GAPS, specific carbohydrate diet, gluten-free, casein-free. And I was trained by a wonderful woman named Julie Matthews who coined this idea of kind of diversity, biodiversity in nutrition. And which basically means every gut is different. Every person is different. So you have to really educate yourself around the different possibilities and then put together what your body tells you really works. And for us, we ended up, what really worked for Ben primarily was the body ecology diet. And it's been, we discovered body ecology probably when Ben was eight or nine, I think eight, he's 19. He's still uses that as his 
way of eating. He is pristine. He's very clear that if he deviates, he doesn't like the symptoms. So it's just not worth it to him. And yeah, he told me. I feel that with myself. Yeah, me too. Like, it's just not worth it. You know, I want to point out something that probably people have never heard of before, but as children start to come out of that place where they've gone, I have noticed that they're very, very well aware that they're getting better. They're feeling better. They're more, they can communicate and express themselves, which is very frustrating when they can't. They're absorbing everything, but they can't express themselves, you know, and so then they start to get well. And I've seen them, many of them, maybe not all of them, of course, but many of them literally even start leading the way. You know, I've had mothers say, well, you know, I had um, Christopher on this diet and then we went to France for the summer. And when we came back, you know, he wanted to go back on the diet. He felt better. And, and then he did recover and he was 10 years old, which is unusual, you know, for the older children to recover my own opinion and experience is that you have to, you know, see the signs early and get them started immediately off all the things that are causing more inflammation, causing gut problems and so on. So, yeah, I have a time. It's a lot easier before you lay down these dependencies on foods that are inflammatory. You know, it's easier if you start off, you know, sort of influencing the palate young so they don't expect junk, you know, and because it's very... It's hard to pull them away from that, the pizza crust and the bread, yeah. And mac and cheese and what we all give our kids. It's really Mm -hmm. inflammatory. And the book that I am putting out this fall, which is called The Autism Kitchen, is a lot of recipes that we had to take and rework them with anti-inflammatory ingredients. Like we have Pop-Tarts and we have pita bread and we have pizza and we have things, but it's all, you know, stevia and Lakanto and quinoa flour and a lot of, you know, things that we learned from body ecology diet that we pulled out. And because I think if you can help the children younger, it's just to see here. We've been, so Ben had a revelation. So Ben, okay, to finish up. So Ben is now 19. He's a senior in high school. He is going to college. He is a published author of a young adult novel as of last year. He has a website, Ben Levin Author. Yeah, there's the book. And um, he's got another book launch in next month, um, something oh, called wow. Nellie's Friends, which is a five-volume children's book series, which is, this is, oops, yes, there you go. So there's five, there's, uh, there's it's a, put out by the same publisher and there the books are all about friendship and teamwork and striving for your personal best and inclusion and it, they're really beautiful and they're their chapter for a younger audience who, who did the illustrations for them it is a wonderful artist named gone could you say that name again gone mookie g-o-n-m it's an artist from singapore whom we met on fiber oh wow great just magnificent talent. And yeah, so that's on Ben's website. Yeah, that's, that is beautiful. Yeah. So I just want to tell people now this fast forward years of hard, lots of effort on her part, Susan's part, but also even on Ben's part, the choices that he's made. So 
I use the word recover because I have seen many children recover, but I will say it's very essential to look for those early signs. To me, some of the early signs that I would look for as a parent is that if they're not going to the bathroom and they're constipated and, they're not, and their detoxification pathways aren't open, if they have cradle cap or diaper rash, for example, those are both signs of yeast. As a matter of fact, uh, during the pregnancy, which women will you know, their, their yeast infection gets more acute during the pregnancy. And so the yeast actually consume biotin, and the cradle cap is a sign of a biotin deficiency. Fussiness, you know, having trouble getting their inner ego started. It's not getting started properly, so they're already beginning to have, you know, digestive problems really from the very beginning. Those are, you know, so, okay, so contrast that to a baby that, you know, we've helped the mom and the parents and they know to what to do to get the this inner ecosystem started how important that is we've been they've been eating fermented foods through the pregnancy remember this is this isn't second about 20 years ago this is none of people didn't know this yet so what we do with our mothers they've been eating the fermented foods so they've got good bacteria in their birth canal if the baby slips through he's getting inoculated but we even will take fermented coconut water, fermented the juice of uh, fermented vegetables the mom will have there and dilute it with water and then put little dropper falls in the baby's mouth a little bit every day. But anyway, that jump starts this um, inner ecosystem, this uh, gut microbiome. Sometimes I don't really like to use the word microbiome because there's also a virome and a microbiome where there's yeast and all, but it's the whole entire community, the whole world, has to get started in the baby's gut. And, and there's just not enough. One of the things that makes me really angry is there's not an, any, nobody has any conversation around prevention because we've been preventing autism for 15 years and it is preventable. So, of course, like Susan said, people didn't know that way back then. And, and parents were amazing. They were trying so hard to share the information, help each other, and then they would go to their doctors who usually had a, children with autism themselves, didn't want to put their kids on drugs. And they would were very open, loved working with the parents. Anything the parents could teach them, they were very open to it. So it was an extraordinary time, really. Today, there's a, all this information is actually out there. But for some reason, people aren't getting it. I mean, we know the reason, you know, the medical media is not interested in promoting this. But so, Susan, by coming into the, you know, getting to the point, say, putting Ben on the diet by the time he's eight or nine, he still made wonderful progress, obviously. And so I started interviewing, and I used the word recovery, and he wanted to stop right then and there because he, he didn't like that word. And I thought, okay, let's talk about that. And so what he said was pretty cool and another important thing to say into the world. And then you contacted me. He, I think he felt bad that he stopped me and said that. I didn't feel bad at all. I love for everybody to express their opinion and never intimidates me because he made a very important point. So why don't we talk about that? Yes, I'd like to. I yeah. feel like that's the most important thing and I've used so much time already, but very complicated because it involves two different paradigms, two different ways of seeing what's happening in the brain and two different perspectives, one being mostly from the caregiver and one being from the people who are on the spectrum themselves. And this is what I've had to learn. And it's been very, very humbling. You know, I wrote a book called Unlocked. And I do feel that Ben was unlocked from an existence where he was unable to communicate. And, you know, you've already heard the things that I did to make that happen. 
But when Ben was about to start eighth grade, he felt he was in a school and he felt that he wanted to go to a, a mainstream school. And we went to a doctor and she said, oh, no. And he was going to get an IEP. And she said, oh, no, no, you have autistic tendencies, but I would not call you autistic anymore. I would call you this and that and the other with autistic tendencies. We decided at that time that Ben had recovered from autism because the doctor said he only had autistic tendencies, but she wouldn't put him squarely on the autism spectrum anymore. So Ben decided in this new environment not to tell anyone at his new school, his public middle school, about his past being autistic. And I always felt that still had more than autistic tendencies. There are a lot of things about Ben that to me were clearly autistic, not as disabling as the earlier symptoms, but things having to do with social skills. And it's kind of hard to describe, but it, it, it was there and I knew it. And I, I felt very uncomfortable, but I thought, well, it's okay because what matters is that Ben feels good. Turns out Ben didn't feel good at all. Ben felt that he was lying about who he was. And last year, as a junior, he came to us and said that he really doesn't believe that he was not autistic, nor would he ever be not autistic. And that actually, he felt good about that, that that was his identity, that he had a neurodiverse brain and he felt that it empowered him in various ways to be who he is, including being able to be a writer because the degree of focus where he could completely shut out the world was for him central to his being a writer and a number of other things. And, you know, here I am, Miss, you know, writer, author, my kid recovered, you know, holistic coach for Malise, this and that. And my son telling me actually what you said, mom, I love you, but it hurt me because mm -hmm. I didn't feel safe to be who I was. And now oh, wow. I do. And he claimed that. And that, and he said, when people talk about recovery, he said, it's almost for me like you're saying you've recovered from being Jewish. It's like, or when people say we want to forget about that or not have that be part of the word, it's devastating to him because it's so much a part of his identity. And what Ben has taught me is that his experience, the majority of people he knows on the spectrum feel that their identity is something of value as an autistic person and that it's the people who are impacted by the struggle around the symptoms associated and accompanying autism, which he understands he's not in La La Land, autism is, some of the symptoms are horrendous, but that that identity is not ever anything he would want someone to say, you shouldn't, let's get rid of that. Because it's really- Well, you know, something I've wondered about, because I actually saw years ago, a little, like not little, he was like 11, 12 year old boy, but I've known his mother and the family closely for six years or so. So he was quite young, much younger. 
But they spent, they were well-to-do, and they spent a lot of money on him recovering him. He had a younger brother, just a year younger, who was perfectly, you know, normal, and kind of got shoved aside, and all the attention went to the son with autism. And he was always taken to this specialist, that specialist. I mean, he got a lot of attention for, because he, his parents, mom in particular, father could afford it, mom was going to get her son well. But the thing is, is that he, you know, had a, let's see, what would you call it? Like, he'd labeled himself, everybody had labeled himself as uh, as autistic. And so I noticed that, and then, of course, we met, and she started putting him on the diet, and I, you know, continued to know and guide, and, and a huge change in him. I mean, amazingly normal. He became quite normal. But I noticed when I sat back and observed, if I was at their house, he played that card. Like, he'd come into the kitchen, and he'd say, what can I have to eat? And she'd start running through this list of things he wasn't going to allow to eat. She said, no, you can't have that. Well, what about this? No, you can't have that. What about this? No, you can't have this. I have something for you. You can have that. So I thought, you know, he's playing her. Like it's his way of getting attention where his your younger brother was just over there dying, doing all kinds of amazing things to get attention and nobody noticed him. So at that moment, I decided, you know, I don't, I would caution parents not to you know, use those words and begin to put a label on them. And it does, like you said, it it put a lot of pressure on Ben to not be that, to be in recovery and all, when he knew he wasn't exactly like everybody else. But he also knew that they were wonderful. You know, in the interview, which I hope people will listen to, he actually goes into what a gift he feels he's got now because he's come into this world with a different brain. And he is more creative, and he does see things in a different kind of way. He's very, obviously, from the books that he's writing and has written, very empathetic. You know, really gets other people struggling in the world. He's just like on a mission almost, too. Oh, not almost. He's actually, that's what he's doing now, is making the world, you know, more aware of people who are in pain, who are struggling, who are trying to define themselves in the world. So it's a bad thing. You know how they say this is a bad thing, but it's got really wonderful bright side to it. It's a perfect example. Right. And I think that, you know, so there are really two different camps, you know, and both are kind of fierce. You know, people in the recovery camp are fierce that their children can be all they can be, you know, and to get get supported and get well in the ways that they're they're being hurt by some of these aspects. And then there's the neurodiversity camp, which is saying, I am who I am. I love who I am. I honor who I am. And I expect you to respect and honor who I am as well. And it's not a label. It's it's literally my identity. You know, it's, it's a way of me being in the world and presenting me. And I wonder if a lot of this isn't just semantics. Just semantics? semantics? Because I don't think there's a parent out there that wants to deprive their child of their identity, whoever that child is. And I don't think there's a person who is on the spectrum who doesn't want to empower 
other people on the spectrum and give them health and abilities and communication opportunities and leverage who they are and bloom who they are. So I wonder if it's about just, you know, using words like Ben has taught me rather than recovery or cure to talk about lowering needs. N-E-E-D-S, needs. Correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, to be mindful of the many, many people on the spectrum who don't feel they need to be cured of autism any more than I need to be cured of being female. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'm not trans, but, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But that that, that is who they are. And they that the, the very idea of recovery from being who they are is offensive to them. But I wonder if it were just the words. So I'm very interested in having that conversation with parents and people on the spectrum and, you know, seeing if there could be some reconciling. Because, I mean, there's a real lot of anger on the part of the people on the spectrum who don't want to be cured in that sense. Mm-hmm. But I think that it doesn't have to be that way. I want well, to- I totally hear everything you're saying and 100% get it. The thing is, though, you have to, I think, acknowledge all the effort you and the rest of your family and Ben need to get him to the point where he can communicate and be himself. You know, what if he was still stuck back in the, like I've had some parents say, well, my son just stays back in the bedroom watching video games all day long, same right. video game over and over like 20 times. That child is not going to, there has to be a certain amount of recovery. And I would never want to not credit somebody for the effort they made to get there. I've known, you know, I have pictures of kids where parents with their kids have smeared their feces all over the wall and they can't travel or go anywhere because they'll do that in a hotel room or something. I mean, there's real severe autism and those children really aren't able to make this kind of, you know, contribution that Ben is already making and started making years ago, really. Yeah, and I agree, Donna, and that's why I say it's complicated. This is not a one-and-done conversation. This Mm -hmm. is a very very complex identity slash disorder. It's both. And I, you know, and Ben, Mm -hmm. you know, thank God, I'm very relieved. Ben is the first to say, of course, there are problems. His best friend is nonverbal. He's Mm -hmm. autistic and nonverbal. But Ben doesn't feel that that makes him any less valuable. And he, he would say, he wants this this young man, his friend, to be empowered, to be to be given. I mean, his mother is very much in the world of biomedical recovery, so mm-hmm. she's doing everything she can. But mm-hmm. it's more just the association with autism is a negative, mm-hmm. and then seeing it more as autism is very nuanced. Autism is both giver and a taker. And the job of all of us, I think Ben would say, is to really work on the problems and love and celebrate the blessings of autism. And what we've never really done sufficiently is focus on the blessings. 
which is what Ben means when he says, you know, autism is not a curse, it's a gift. He doesn't mean that there aren't really big problems that must be addressed, like you're saying. But living let's, prevented, I want to say. Right, That's really, a big yeah. thing. I can't get that right. word out, that yep. thought out in the world. Yeah. But, but Susan, I want people to have to take away here too that you're in that group of extraordinary parents that are going to do everything possible, move every rock, climb every mountain, whatever you can do. Because the sunrise program is difficult, you know, Changing your child's diet and sticking with that is difficult. All the education and learning that comes. Some parents just can't go there or they don't want to go there. I would never want, and I'm sure when Ben listens to this, he'd 100% agree, ever to have parents think they don't have to make that effort to get their child out of the cave. So, you, you know, when Ben came out and of the, out of the dark world and put his arms around you, you knew he was there. He'd already made a good bit of effort for him. But then you could start to see his beauty. And I've seen, I've heard that over and over from my parents when they would, back in the day when I was real involved with autism and helping them, you know, like fathers would say, I can't believe it. We sat down and had the most amazing conversation. I didn't think my son even thought that way. And so it's really worth making that effort to, and the parent has to because they're trapped there forever. So I, I just want to acknowledge you. I want parents to understand that you're a very special person. And there's lots of moms out there who are making that effort. And we don't want them to give up. No. And then Ben is also an example of someone who's, and I know we won't use that word in case he's going to hear this, but he's progressed to the point where he's a gift to the world now. His his gifts are now reaching other people and he's changing the world with his books and just, just his being. Like, I, I loved him when I we said goodbye to each other on the podcast, you know. I was just in love with him, so he's oh, a so dear, glad. sweet person. Yeah, and I think, I think Ben would completely agree that parent, I know it because we've talked about it, he feels that if parents don't do the work, that they are depriving their children of a life and, you know, becoming who they are. And, and he's not a great supporter of, of saying, you know, we're not going to do the work. The work, if with autism, there is really hard work. But, I mean, his best friend, as I said, is nonverbal. His mother has done biomed everything since the start and he is a regressive autism it was after the second mmr that they lost him they have never thought he could have any communication and he is communicating through an ipad which she has resisted because it's technology and that's not her world but she said to me last week he's a philosopher i had no idea he's a philosopher Oh, a philosopher. Oh. Yeah, the way he sees the world. He really, yes. you know, and he's 21 and he's just starting to communicate. But I think had she not done all that work, I don't care how many iPads you have, mm-hmm. he wouldn't be there. So Absolutely. I, I totally agree. But I think that the language, yeah. if that can change, I think that would be really good and really mm-hmm. make people on the autism spectrum feel that they have a different kind of value. 
Yeah, and so another you know takeaway here too is that there's different things going on. They do have yeast infection. They do have gut issues. You know, one of the reasons Bedrock was our program was so successful is we were addressing those actually. And at that point in the early stages, I didn't even know why it was so successful, but I understand why now. But then I think I've had a teacher in A4M. She's a one of the brain class, you know modules say this is the era of the brain. And I think that there's obviously some, a lot of attention on autism, but not, not enough. Like, what is it that's, you know, the child is forming all this wisdom and, you know, they, there's so much that they want to say, but it's not coming out. What part of the brain is being affected by that? That's probably where an enormous amount of research and attention needs to be put, you know, so that help them escape. I have uh, two little twin, they're not little anymore, they're a little younger than Ben, but they were little, <laughs> about three, and one had autism, one didn't, and uh, then, then they got well. So one day I was out in Pasadena giving a talk, and they were in the audience with their mom and dad, and so I had them come up on stage, and it was <laughs> like the whole audience was crying, actually, when we finished talking about it. So I said to the, the one, the daughter, the girl with autism, I said, young woman, I should say, she, what was it like? And she said, oh, it was so hard. You know, I wanted to say things. I wanted to communicate who I was. There was so much, I, and I just, it wouldn't come out. It just wouldn't come out. And then, so I, you know, said to her sister, well, what was it like to have a sister who was there, but you, you know, she wasn't there. And she said, it was terrible. I mean, there she was all the time, you know, I mean, even they shared the womb together. And she said it was so lonely. She was there and she was never there. So, you know, that just to me says that we have to fight harder for these kids. We have to prevent autism, put a lot of attention on that. And then we have to, as the point that you and Ben are making, is make the effort and accept them all along the way so they never feel less than is there, if you want to look at it from a spiritual perspective, it's perhaps their destiny, their karma to experience this too. I've never met, I have truly never met an autistic person or a neurodiverse person who wasn't remarkable. I mean, everybody's remarkable, of course. No, these two young girls are gifted. I mean, they're both singers. They play the um, one that was autistic. She plays guitar beautifully. They both sing together and, uh, you know, they perform and amazing. And I want to say it's like we want to prevent the physiological, neurological barriers to them being who they are. And they may, I don't know if you can separate them, Donna. I mean, I would never want to prevent Ben's autism because it's so much informs kind of the magnificence of who he is and, and, and the uniqueness of who he is. But I do want to prevent the pain and suffering. So it's like I said, it's very complicated, but I know that... I had years of struggle and heartbreak and challenges. I mean, my book is stuffed full of it, you know, but it's been such a revelation to me that Ben is who he is and can do the things he does. He's in a play right now. He's never acted in his life. 
you know, and he's terrified, but he's in the school musical because his brother is an actor and Ben is graduating. It's his last time to be with his brother in a play. So he's doing it and he's scared every day and every day he shows up. I mean, this is like a heart as big as this country, you know, and his brother is so happy, you know, so it's an interesting thing. Or Like I know if you use the word prevention of autism, that phrase around Ben, he would lose his mind the way he did with you the other day, you know? So it's like, again, I think it's just the language. I think mm-hmm. it's really understanding that autism is a gift, but we have to do, it's like having a Michelangelo thing of marble and the gift is inside and we have to chip away with all this horrendously expensive, difficult, hard work. But in the end, it's more, I, my experience is it's more a blessing than a curse. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an important message to get out in the world, especially now, right? When people are fighting for acceptance for the way they are, doesn't matter about what skin color you have, what sex you are, anything, just accept people as they are and let them be themselves and let them give their gift to the world. So I think I this is an important you message. So much. Donna, having this conversation with me, it's tricky, you know, it's really tricky, but I think it's a great conversation and I just really thank you. Yeah, oh, thank you for doing this. And I hope people listening, just think about who you could share this with, who is different and or has a different child. They can see already that they're not going to be typical and realize that that child still has, can bring gifts to the world. So This is an important conversation, Susan. Thank you. Body ecology is not a diet. It's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth. If you want to know more about us, about these seven universal laws, and about our amazing, effective products, go to our website, bodyecology.com. Also, for a free transcript of this show, go to our website, Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course, if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening. And here's to a happier, healthier world.